This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Conversations on life, style, beauty, and relationships. It's the Velvet's Edge podcast with Kelly Henderson. Well, we have a very special guest on the Velvet episode today, and it's not the guest yet that I'm going to introduce to you guys. It's Chip Dorsch. Hi, Chip. Hi. (laughs) I wanted to have you on both episodes this week because of some of the nature of our discussions. I think it's so interesting to hear different versions of people's stories that can have similarities, but can just kind of play out so differently. And from a third party, um, I think it's cool to just come in and see how we're all actually connected in one way or another. So we have a very special guest today, Georgia White. We met Georgia at a dinner, actually referenced this dinner in our conversation about the Will Smith, Chris Rock debacle. (laughs) Georgia's laughing because she saw me kind of get a little heated and you actually agreed georgia and i were the two at the table that agreed and everyone else was kind of like violence is never the answer and we're like duh guys we know (laughs) (laughs) um but we had met that day because so many of us are super interested in the enneagram and georgia is not an expert not a coach what do you like to refer to yourself as georgia yeah i mean i think my business card says enneagram coach but i'm not fond of the word um okay why what is it about coach that you don't like you know i think there's a part of me that just um i don't know i feel like i'm a witness to people's lives and i think that being witnessed is what I mean, I think it's just a huge part of our moving forward, our evolution, if you will. And yet that sounds so woo woo. (laughs) I can't like put that in a business card. And I hate the word expert or guru or anything like that. So, but I do think that ultimately I'm a self-leadership coach. I mean, that we, that, that self that you have Mm -hmm. just helping you create space for that to show up. That's right. I actually love the word witness. Like that you love to witness people because I think that that's sort of what I was mentioning when I just said, I I think that we're all so connected and what a cool experience when you hear about people's journey to realize, oh, I'm really not so different. 
yeah. which as an Enneagram four is very weird for me. And we can talk ah. about that later. <laughs> well, I was, I was going to say witness feels really appropriate too, because as someone who doesn't know a ton about the Enneagram, like what I witness um, mm-hmm. is people being like, oh, she's such a six. And it's like, uh, and you see them witness somebody and then tag them with their number. So that's yeah. weaponizing. That's the, <laughs> that that is definitely um memeish. It's a, it's a terrible thing to do, but you know. Well, I don't I just to clarify it. I've never seen any of my friends that know the Enneagram use it in a negative way. They're like it's more in an understanding sort of way. It is, but when that happens, it's generally based on a very shallow, stereotypical like view of what a type six might be. And it could very well be incorrect because that particular description, it's just not that simple. We are not easy creatures. <laughs> no, it's much I actually, more complex. I loved having that conversation with you when we were at that dinner because I said to you specifically, ugh, I'm a four. And I have such a negative connotation in my mind of my number. I hated when I finally figured out what number I was. Um, and you quickly, you like snapped me out of it because you were like, oh, no, 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 no. And you told me all these positive attributes of a four. And it did shift my narrative in my head a little bit just to have that kind of um, mentality versus like, oh, the four is so moody and, it's, you know, like I feel every emotion and I'm so negative, like those kind of things, because those can be a part of it. But I like that you really try to help people understand the negative so they can understand themselves, but also really see the positive in their number. Yeah. And I think, too, it's just that whole And I mean, it's human nature. We gravitate. We want to grasp a hold of some sort of thing that defines us that you can say, oh, this is who I am. Um, But at the same time, the only reason to know your type is for you to begin to see and recognize and notice those patterns. It's leverage, like it's leverage for growth. It is not a fixed definition. Oh, this is who I am. And now I'm done because generally people who use the Enneagram in that sense, it's not like it's a horrible thing, but they can have a propensity to say, Oh, this is who I am. And then prop up their bad behavior on Mm. that. This, well, I'm a bitch because I'm an eight. Right. Or I can bite your head off and chew you, you know, and that's nonsense. I mean, that's the antithesis of what, you know, the, whole system is about. Mm -hmm. So it's really not getting the label, you know, every, sure. Everybody's like, well, who am I and where do I fit in? But if that information is not used then for transformation, then it, what, you know, it, it just doesn't serve you. It doesn't. Yeah. When I think of the Enneagram and just getting to know yourself, I think a lot about just an awakening to who you are and um, who the people in your life, like just the dynamics that you might have in your relationships because of what their number might or what number they might resonate with the most. Um, And so that's kind of our theme for this month, for April, we're really talking about awakenings. And we talked a little bit last month about, you know, the journey through winter and just really digging deep within. Mm -hmm. And kind of when you come into spring, you're, you're really kind of leaning into your true self. And so you really fit in that category on so many levels because 
One, you can talk to us about the Enneagram, which we'll get into later. But the reason I mentioned earlier that we wanted to have Chip on too is because you came out as gay later in your life. And I found your story so fascinating as a woman in the South um, because I really understood why you did what all that you did during your life like you got married you went to a christian college you had three kids and so i really want to dive into that journey and what it looked like and then hear from chip a little bit about his journey because i think they're very different but very similar as well so can you talk us through as a child did you like when did you know you were gay (laughs) your guess is as good as mine really okay i I mean you know what i knew um, Kelly, is that there was a system, uh, there yep. was a, there was a religious system, a cultural system, a family system, and I did not fit accurately. Like that, that was clear, you know I mean? And some of it was because bottom line is then I was that typical, I was the tomboy. Okay. I played with an erector set and a wood burning kit and I had a motorcycle and I played outside with the boys and um, my older sister was blonde and beautiful and a beauty queen, but the like everyone in my life wanted me to step into that. Mm. Like, like I was a project that they were going to make me more feminine, basically make me more like her. And I'm not at all faulting her. My sister's a lovely, beautiful person. Um, but it just didn't, you know, and I think for me, I, even, even as a young child, like I felt that, Mm. you know, um, I felt that and I was a super late bloomer. So really at eight, my sister looked 18 and 14. I looked 14 at 18. <laughs> just very, very it's amazing. I mean, it's, I mean, when you look at pictures of us in our teens, she looks like she's one of the adults and I look like I'm in third grade. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, but that whole dynamic, but I had no idea. I mean, I had very, very passionate relationships with my girlfriends and I didn't have any boyfriends because I would, nobody wanted to, you know, nobody liked me. I was just the, I was the third wheel a lot. And, and so, you know, it just, but I didn't have anywhere to put that. The only person I knew in my world that was gay was my science teacher in high school. Openly gay. She was openly gay. Okay. Uh, what we would term butch by yeah. a long shot. I mean, Betty looked like a man, really dressed like a man, masculine, you know, but she was a brilliant woman and she truly loved me. Like in the sense of like, she championed me. She's the first person that made me feel like I was really bright. Mm. And it was just a really interesting thing, but that seemed so off my, <clears throat> like, I never would have thought, you know, Oh, I'm like Betty. You know, yeah. And um, so, yeah, you just didn't have it. Like, I know that's hard for people, but I mean, you're talking Mississippi in the 70s and the early 80s. Like, no, just not there, you know. And um, I do think probably the first person I fell in love with was my camp counselor uh, when I was in high school. She was a student at UTC and came down to the this Mississippi church camp and I mean, I was absolutely, I couldn't, couldn't 
stand to not talk to or be with her, but it was never, it never became an intimate relationship physically. And so again, it's just this good thing. I still have all those letters and cards. I pulled them out recently. I was doing a writing project and I mean, it's, it's astonishing how much you could get away with under the guise of spiritual direction. (laughs) (laughs) Did you, did you recognize it at that point that you were in love with her or it's an hindsight that you're like, wow, that was love. Oh yeah. And I mean, at at the time it, you know, it was just, she is my favorite person in the whole wide world. Right. Right. You know, I mean, we spent hours on the phone. I mean, I was a junior, probably a junior in high school. She was like a sophomore in college you know, and my parents were thrilled because I was a very poorly behaved teenager. Um, you know, I think I rebelled against all of that. You don't fit initially, you know, smoke and drank. And, you know, I mean, I wasn't sleeping around because, <laughs> <it was>, <laughs> um, but I also had zero desire to do so, which, you know, obviously looking back, oh, um, but it is really, it's only in looking back really chip that I, I say that about her and she and I've laughed. She and her wife <laughs> live in Chattanooga. Amazing. I was going to ask where she is. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's funny to me too, because like my, like, obviously it's like you didn't, you couldn't um, formulate what it was that you were thinking you're feeling. Cause you didn't have any examples to mm-hmm. your only example was so foreign from, from you that you were like, Oh, well, that's not it. And for me, um, I, I grew up in Virginia. And for me, like I had some examples there. I had like a, a gay distant cousin. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he was a very stereotypical, like, um, you know, like, I don't even know what subset of gay he is, but it was <laughs> like, you, you knew the second he, he wasn't like a flaming queen, like, but it was like, he um he was like a Harley gay kind of and it what was is that like, I don't like he he wore like a lot of leather and okay. like chain necklaces with like big earrings and it was just like bleach blonde spiky hair and it was like just very stereotypical and I was like the, when he was around I got very nervous because I was like everyone's gonna think I'm him and I can remember like wanting to dye my hair blonde but I wouldn't do it because people might think I'm gay and it was like I assigned all of these stereotypes to just gay in general. And uh, like, I would try to dodge them so I wouldn't be discovered. And I, I knew fairly young, like I, I, I recognized it at like fifth grade, but mm-hmm. I told myself if I fall in love with a girl that will change, like mm-hmm. I'm not gay. I just haven't met the girl in my dream. And a lot of my best friends, even to this day are women. I've always related better with women. And I definitely like, there were times in my life where I was like, I am in love with this person. But it was really just a best friendship, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was probably me trying to force something to happen that just wasn't there. I wouldn't have ended up happy if I had gone down that route. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I did that. <laughs> <laughs> well, talk us through that. Yeah, let's so do that. you are starting to identify this with, with this camp counselor, but you wouldn't necessarily connect oh, it to I'm in yeah. love with her and want to be with her. So yeah. then what? Yeah. And I distinctly remember her coming to visit at one point and me shutting it down so hard. Like I was cruel to her. And again, looking back, I think there was a part of me that was like, you cannot like, this is no. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I didn't speak to her for a year, like out of nowhere, like there was no fuss, there was no fight, but her coming to my world and being in my world, it was just like, 
there was, I mean, and I do think of myself in parts and there was a part of me that was just like, nope, this is done. And, um, but there was a deep, deep desire for me going back to that world, that family, that system. Like I just, I wanted to be good. And I really had always mm-hmm. seen myself as bad. Uh, understandably being uh, falling in that type eight category, you know, as a woman in the South in the church, uh, submissive, no, I'm not, you know, um, quiet and demure. No, I'm not, um, you know, patient and not angry. No, I'm not. So there were so many things that, um, but I decided, and, and y'all, it really truly is, is one of those weird things four days before I was supposed to go to college at Ole Miss, where I had spent every weekend. I walked in my mom's bathroom and said, I don't think I should go to Ole Miss. And my mom, instead of saying, hey, we've got it all down. We've got your carpet on the dorm room floor. You start rushing four days. My mom did kind of what my mom does. And she said, well, if it's not where the Lord wants you to be, then you shouldn't go. And um, wasn't the best advice. But um, anyway, I found this little thing, this brochure on Sanford University. And literally stopped watching Guiding Light, called them, said, you know, I've rededicated my life for the 17th time, you know, and I, I think I should come to Sanford. And I ended up going. And so I went from being a project. And, and again, this is my perspective of looking back at what was happening. But I became a project for an evangelical cult. Mm. I was I was there. I was a Christian. But I was the rebel. I was the cussing, smoking, drinking. You know, of course, I stopped that, you know, when I got to Sanford. But and it was this bizarre world where I'd never all of a sudden boys liked me. Well, we were in the middle of purity culture. Like you didn't you didn't make out. You didn't even like drive up in the back seat. I mean, you were like it was just you went on group dates. You um guarded your heart. So basically you take this child who has no experience with intimacy, sex, um, love, and you're in this culture, in this bubble of Stanford. And I'm like, Hey, all of a sudden I fit in. Mm. I fit in. And not only do I fit in my God, I'm popular. Like, this is just, this is new and different. I mean, Karen and I were there together, Kelly. And, you know, it is, I often say she was their poster child at the time. And I was their, you know, project. Which and is hilarious to me to think about <laughs> Karen now. We're talking about Karen Fairchild, who I've mentioned. Dinner. I mean, like the poster child for an evangelical cult is not where I would put her now. <laughs> you know, we, we grew up in that though. And so it's really interesting because you just, again, you have no reference for what love is right? or for a sense of self. And so I just began doing what I needed to do to be good. And the parts of me that were managing, nothing else mattered. It was, I'm going to be a godly woman. Mm. And I meet this guy and who's my ex-husband, who is a delightful human being he was just handsome and sweet and kind and he could sing and play and blah, blah, blah. You know, but I, I, when I look back, I mean, he was not scary to me. 
we had a we had a great partnership. We had a great friendship. Um, and at the time, I thought this is love. Mm-hmm. And and I want to be really careful here because you know you're talking about 25, almost 30 years of marriage with this person. So it, it's really hard for people to grasp. I think understanding. I deeply love this man. And I fully believed I was in love with him. And, and to some, I'm sure on some level, yes, you know, I did. I loved him. This is somebody I said, I can do a life with you. You know, I want to have kids with you. Um, But as you grow older and you really learn what that is, there was a, there was a massive gaping hole in that concept that we came together to create but on the outside people we were the we were the darling couple i mean it was just yeah well you were probably working harder to to paint that picture than most of the other couples that you were around because even if you didn't realize it right there was something that you were protecting that was more than just the relationship that's right and that's yeah. the, that's what i really consider those protective parts that were managing me managing you know because you can't be that person georgia because that person is not going to be loved that person's not going to fit that person's not good and so you need to push that down literally and you can do this. And, and I mean, also being an eight, we get shit done. We make <laughs> things happen. I mean, I was not only a good wife, I was like a great wife. I didn't go to law school. I quit graduate school. I did the home, you know, all the things. Um, and I agree, Chip, there was a huge part of me, I believe, unconsciously working to be this ideal. Sure. Yeah. If you know anything about me, you know I am a massive creature of comfort. It is one of my top priorities in life to make my surroundings comfortable at all times. So when I found Cozy Earth, I quickly scooped up all of the luxurious bedding and loungewear that I could. It felt very on brand for me, but then I went on a trip with a girlfriend not too long ago where she could not stop commenting on how cute and comfy my pajamas were, which then made me realize they may also be my new favorite travel companion as well. Guys, I am not kidding when I say you will experience unmatched softness and smoothness with all of Cozy Earth's products. The temperature-regulating bamboo joggers and pullover crew add comfort and a touch of style to any travel ensemble, and their bedding comes in the most adorable totes, making it a super easy gift to give anyone. Discover your next destination for ultimate comfort at Cozy Earth. Visit CozyEarth.com and use our code VELVETSEDGE at the checkout for an exclusive 35% off and let them know we sent you when you're at the checkout. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit RightRug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. 
It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I think it's so interesting. As I said earlier, I find it fascinating as I get older to realize how connected all of our mentalities are at all times. And like I'm listening to both of you guys to just identify with knowing something about yourself of being scared of it or just being so scared not to fit into that little box that who created, by the way, I'm still like, why does a girl have to play with Barbies and not the stuff you wanted to play with? You know, like, I think we're kind of getting rid of some of those constructs around um, sexuality and And gender. Yes. And gender. Yes. All of that stuff. But I I totally resonate with all of that. It's one of the reasons that it's been so difficult for me as an almost 40-something woman to not have kids and never have been married. I mean, I could have been, and thankfully, maybe this is my type four, I don't know, but I like can't fully go through with something if I know, have this internal knowing that it isn't right for me, um, but I'll try until I make myself crazy, basically. And... Um, yeah, I just I just think that it's like such a disservice we do as humans to force ourselves to live this life so that everyone else feels comfortable with us. Isn't that strange? It is. I think it's that root deep, deep, that whole belonging Brene talks like, you know, that this this is what connects me because that's just we don't have the capacity as kids to recognize, you know, to to walk through this stuff and have that knowing. Yeah, that knowing eventually, whether it's trauma, whether it's life, whether it's culture, church, church played a massive role, obviously, in mine. But you just that voice, that knowing that you just mentioned, you I considered that a bad knowing, Mm. a bad knowing. Like if my gut and I'm such a gut person. Yeah, me too. If my gut said one thing there were probably about 15 years of my life where I would do the opposite. Wow. I love that you mentioned belonging though, because I did hear you say something about, I, I, you know, you loved your husband and I believe that you did. Um, but that thing that we convince ourselves that like love is belonging and fitting in and what love should look like. So, I mean, as much as there are the parts of you that love him, now you're finally coming into your own and able to see what love could actually look like. And even probably what you've been inhibiting yourself from all of your life. Absolutely. I think, you know, for me, once that decision was made and I was all in, my first two children, God love them. They were just excellent children. And, um, I kind of felt like, okay, I'm cruising. Like, yeah, I got this. And then, you know, I posted a a quote a couple of weeks ago from a girl named Hillary McBride that basically said, 
Spiritual abuse is giving you an internal critic and attributing that voice to God. Mm. And um, I love her. She's uh, in Canada, but she writes a lot about the body. And I posted and I said, you know, the, the struggle for me is that cult that indoctrinated me. I then went to work for and doubled down and turned around and taught the same shit to college women for, I don't know, 12 years. Wow. And so I was the abuser, Mm. you know, in the sense that I was saying to them the same things that have been said to me. And it it is, and that's the thing, you know, people get so upset with the word cult, but when you are in something and it is that incestuous and you don't seek counsel outside of that, like, and I could go on and on and on you like, no people, like Mm. it is not as it should be. But, you know, so I think I was on that trajectory and then I had Mary Helen. Let's talk a little about Mary Helen. Um, Mary Helen is on the wall behind me. I think you can see her here. here. Um, Anyway, she took those in photography class one time. Um, She's 22. Uh, She's intellectually disabled. Um, We knew almost... um, well, right at a year that we were dealing with, um, as the doctor used the term mental retardation back then. Um, but we had no idea why. And of course, like everything else in my life, I decided it was my fault somehow. Um, which in and of itself was a massive burden to carry until we finally learned what was wrong. But, um, anyway, it just, it, you know, I think I've said this before. I think the kids called the deconstruction, you know, when it comes to their religious beliefs, but for me, it was implosion, Mm. (laughs) you know, it's just like the bottom fell out of it. And it was really, truly the best thing in the whole wide world. Um, Because it would have taken years, I think, for me to begin to really let that self, let that knowing rise. And all of a sudden, all the things that I'd really invested so heavily in and built my life upon and in, um, I just thought, I mean, it may sound extreme, but I was like, this is bullshit. This is bullshit. And so it was just enough of a implosion for that crack, for that self to begin that knowing to begin to have a, have some air and begin to breathe. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it was a lot. She became my life in many ways, but uh, we left that ministry, moved to St. Louis. But yeah, my early thirties, I knew exactly what I was dealing with as far as my sexuality. You did. Uh, so it's so interesting that that like, having your daughter and dealing with her um, mental, what do you call it now? <laughs> They call it intellectually disabled. Intellectually disabled. Okay. I wanted to make sure I was saying it. She's like a toddler. Yes. Yes. And so I'm assuming it's very hands-on, but that puts a crack in the facade of this perfect little life that you lived so that all of it then becomes so overwhelming to try to keep it all together because it's like, but no, it's not. It's just not. It's not. Yeah. So then I want to know one thing before I ask this next question, like, before she came along, what did your marriage look like? Like, were you guys just, I mean, did you have a sexual relationship? Were you happy? Like Chip, I've always asked Chip this because I'm fascinated. Like he's talked about being sexual with girls before he finally came out. 
And I'm like, but did you enjoy it? Like, I don't, I don't know that I fully understand or grasp what that would feel like. And, and it's, um, it's actually way more of a bigger question for people who really, um, can't believe that I'm gay. Okay. Um, and, but it doesn't bother me at all because, you know, you do what you know, and when you know better, you do better. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) As Maya would say, and, um, neither of us had had sex. Mm-hmm. with anyone. I mean, I'd never even been near there. And so you, again, you have a zero frame of reference. Sure. Okay. And, and I am very much committed to being a good wife. Mm-hmm. So yes, I mean, we had sex and probably more, more than most people. Mm-hmm. Now, as a, a grown ass 54 year old woman, was there emotional intimacy and a, that connection and that deep? No. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure that he would say there was because he didn't know any better either. But as a man, he was having his needs met. And I had my emotional needs met by my female friends. Okay. Okay. But I think I was always, Chip, you said you gravitated. I mean, you know, you had this uncle in your life or whatever. My favorite people inevitably were gay. Like it just was a, I think intuitively there was this sense of you get to live. And again, I don't even think consciously, but I really loved their lives. I wanted to be very supportive of them, you know, and, um, my ex-husband had a cousin that came out and I mean, she was my favorite person in his entire family. She and one of his other cousins. And, um, it just became this, you know, the guy was the manager of the restaurant in mountain Brook. You know, I would go by myself and sit at the bar and talk to Brett all night long. I, mean, <laughs> I absolutely adored him. I mean, anywhere I went, um, it was like that felt home mm. to me. It really, really did. And, when I moved to St. Louis, I went to Starbucks to get coffee and I had to get a job so that we could have health insurance because my ex-husband was in school full time. And man, that gal who made my cappuccino, I was like, she, I mean, I couldn't not, I couldn't stop thinking about her. And, uh, and that wasn't the first time that it happened. I mean, I could go back through different jobs I had in high school or in college, or, I mean, there were a couple of girls in college that I was absolutely crazy about crazy, you know? Um, but again, you just, that's just, you know, I'm just a really good friend. <laughs> yeah. So you just followed it away as like, we're best friends. Yes, for sure. And, and, and those girls are just as straight and narrow as they can be. Trust me. Um, <laughs> but this gal at Starbucks was not. And I went and got a job at that Starbucks. That's amazing. And um, she is still a, a dear friend. She and her wife live in Seattle. And um, but I worked there for three years with and at least two thirds of the staff were gay. And it was just a reckoning in my marriage, like nothing sexually happened with any of those people. But I felt so at home. I like there was just such a freedom in being with them 
their stories, what they had gone through, they all had come out when they were young, many rejected by the church, many rejected by their families. I was like, they called me big mama. And I, like, it just was, I, I think it was just the softening into the fact that you feel home here because you might want to be here. You know, you, you, you probably would sleep with her if she, you wouldn't know what to do, but you'd probably sleep, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And so I started going to a therapist in St. Louis trying to deal with, I think I'm gay. So were you trying to talk yourself out of it or like to fix it? Okay. That's like what Chip said, where you just thought if I fall in love with a woman, then I won't be having these feelings. Yeah. I just thought that ship has sailed. Mm-hmm. That ship has sailed. I wanted nothing more in my life, even to this day, than to be a good mother. Mm. Um, I've come to the conclusion. I don't think there's any such thing, but to be a loving mother. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I thought there's no way I will lose my children. I mean, this, it, I mean, this is early two thousands, but I'm still thinking this living in Birmingham, Alabama, then we were in St. Louis, but all of my context was, you know, you would lose everyone, your family, his family, you know, your siblings, your children. It was just, it was huge. That ship has sailed and you need to buck up, bitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, so what was the, the, was there a moment? Was there just like this slow coming to terms with how you were really feeling inside or accepting that? Or how did that look? You know, when you're 30, how old was I? I don't know, early thirties and you're sneaking around to watch the L word and, you know, it's all you can think about. And you want to go with your friends to the, you know, the Leslie club. And, and again, you know, um, my friend Carrie and I would go as this straight people. She's out now too. Um, (laughs) That's hilarious. But it was just this, it was almost like I can be a part of this. And and I became a more and more fierce ally. And I felt like those things would keep me, that they would let me have enough of that part of myself, but that I could never, ever, ever come out. There was so much at stake. Oh God. So yeah. much at stake. Was it mostly the kids or was it the whole package of like your reputation as a as a mom, as a person living in this perfect little box, as a wife? Like which piece was the most had held the most weight? Uh, my kids. Easily, yeah. easily my kids, because you know, I had been in therapy since I'd graduated from college. Um just dealing with parental relationships, Mm -hmm. you know, like I've been doing work, you know, and, and, and there were a lot, that was really the beginning of me when I said that that voice or that knowing got some air. I mean, I gave it a lot of air in St. Louis. I mean, it was like, I was just bring it on, you know, and, and we discussed divorce because, you know, you move away from your world. Yeah. And you realize that the only emotional support you had is not here in this house with you. Mm. And, 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 and this is all not on him either, because the ministry just, I mean, was so terrible for marriages and families. I mean, it was just really, really terrible. And, um, 
but anyway, um, so yeah, I think that I, I knew viscerally, <laughs> you know, I would sneak on, I would not, I would go to a hotel for the weekend to work on my kids' scrapbooks and watch episode after episode of the L word. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> well, it's, it's crazy. I was trying to find it while you were talking, but I can't remember where I saw it. So I'm, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but I saw, I saw a post one day that like, just sort of reflected on like, um, how incredibly difficult the coming out process is and how gay people learn to live very um, controlled existences because mm. you have to think about the way you walk, the way you wear your hair, the way, like how you reference things, like what you say you like, what you say you don't like, like you're, you're, uh, you're creating an existence that's false and um, God, it's, you know, when I look back on my life, like, I am so jealous of these kids that are like out in high school and going to prom with their boyfriends and their girlfriends and like literally like being so true to themselves yeah. at such a young age that like a lot of like this prison that you created for yourself, like it literally had nothing to do with whether or not you loved your husband. It was like you hadn't allowed yourself to love you yeah, um, because of all of this external pressure that you bought into. And, mm -hmm. you know, in the ministry, like you, you mentioned, like, well, I mean, you were in this like sort of biosphere that like, yes. all you know is what you're being taught. Like, and if you're not seeking information from other sources, probably because you felt like you didn't need it because you were getting everything that you thought you needed. It, um, it can be a really isolating thing. And it's, um, you know, I just, I love hearing your story. I'm so glad that you have found your way to your truth. And, you know, I just hope that anybody that's listening that suspects that like their family members or their children or whatever just creates like a nurturing environment that like lets them be them. I saw a quote from Dwayne Wade that I'll paraphrase too. He was oh, like, oh, I saw it. I posted it. Oh, uh, I saw this they, one too. Yeah. It was like, he said something like, I'm not, a, I'm not here on this earth to like make my children be a certain person. Yep. I'm here to allow them to be who they are. And I'm paraphrasing it, but it was and like, get to know them, like help them, them on their journey. Yes. Yeah. And I like, it's, I, I don't have children. So I sit on my perch to judge everybody else, how they parent, but um, you know, it like nothing pains me more than when I see a parent not embracing their child's individuality. And it just like, I'm like, who gives a fuck if your kids clothes don't match at school? Like if that's what they want to wear, as long as it's weather appropriate, who cares? Like let their freak flag fly and they're going to figure it out themselves. Like, Maybe it is through a bully at school, but mm -hmm. I don't think that like as parents, it's our, or even as family, it's our job to overprotect people from themselves, Yeah, you know? And I, I'm just so thrilled that like, what, and you being a new friend that I've just met, like, I can't wait to get to know you better, but like that you have found this freedom, this like self-love. It's so important. Oh, it's, it is life altering. And I mean, but that is exactly what one of the things I love so much about Dwayne Wade and what he said is he said, it's not about us. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, as a parent who made it about me in those early years, um, I mean, my two adult children laugh at me for the things I wouldn't let them do when they were little, you know, they, they weren't even allowed to watch public television. Wow. wow. Can I just tell you that PBS is like my life, blood, you know, <laughs> you know 
but it is, it's just really interesting when you learn that as a parent, that it's not about you. It is, it's relevant. It's just changes everything and your ability to actually let this human being grow into who they are meant to be. It's not, they're not here to make right all the wrongs you made. They're not here to, you know, fulfill dreams that you never had fulfilled, blah, blah, blah. And, um, but yeah, it is really, it was a long, 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 hard road to get here. Um, and I laughed because people were like, well, why were you anxious? And I mean, I would say things, you know, like about thinking about Michelle Pfeiffer, or Robin Wright, you know, when I'm having sex, you know, I mean, I thought all women did that. I mean, why not? You know, they're amazing. <laughs> and, um, but when I would go out of town, which I love to travel, I've always traveled. If I had one too many, I was telling some stranger that I was sure that I was gay. I mean, wow. all over the country. I mean, a blogging conference in New York City oh. or visiting a friend who's an artist, you know, in Santa Monica or, you know, Dallas or, I mean, so basically you do that for 10 years, people, then you start to wake up in the middle of the night and think this world is way too small. Mm -hmm. And um, so there's that anxiety. There's, um, you know, and even friends that I cared so deeply about, would I have married them in a heartbeat? I would have, but they're straight, you know? <laughs> and, um, but the, so there was a, there was a vibe, I think about who I am, that there was this undercurrent of people thinking that I might be gay and in Birmingham where, where I lived, um, for those 10 years. And yeah, so I moved to Charlotte with my ex-husband with this muddled idea that I would come out there. Wow. So you kind of had it planned. I did. Yeah. I, I had it. Yeah. Like I knew I wanted to, I didn't know if I could. Uh, mm -hmm. So many of my friends knew, uh, my close friends knew. Um, but yeah, I just knew I didn't want to do it in Birmingham. That's where the cult had mm -hmm. been. That's where I'd gone to San. I had like so many iterations of Georgia in that place that it just it too much to unpack. Yeah. It just didn't feel safe at all. And the anonymity of, in moving really gave me that. Um, but that's how, you know, I mean, I started working with Enneagram in those early 2000s. I came back to it, um, just started reading about it and whatnot, and then really dug in. Um, I don't know. I don't even know. I don't know years anymore. Sometimes I'm like, I have no idea when that was. It was just sometime in my life, people. <laughs> uh, but um, I really think that at some point, and I may have said this to you, Kelly, I thought I could develop, that I could become so self-aware mm -hmm. that I could kind of bypass this spirituality thing. Bypass the spirituality thing? I mean, bypass the sexuality. The sexuality. Okay. So basically you were going to try to fix yourself. Well, not even fix myself, but be, I, I think at some point I'd convince myself on some level that I could just live with it. Mm. Like I'm in a relationship. I'm in a marriage. I love him. He loves me. We have these lovely children. We have a special needs daughter who requires 
24 seven care. Like, yeah. You know, it's like, look, this is just, you gotta, again, buck up, you know. And, Sacrifice yourself. Yes, and help other people become right. their best selves. Right. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. I have a question um, that I want to ask before we get too far away from your comment. Um, You'd said like all you really wanted was to be a good mother and then you rephrased it, a loving mother. Would you think, um, or, or would you say that through coming out, you've become a better mother? Absolutely. Yeah, I would imagine. A- absolutely. And I say that because um, I love truth, like in the sense of I love authenticity. I think that's why Kelly and I connected. I mean, it's just this, I believe we we are all here and have this seated, coded essence that is unlike any other human ever in history of the world. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that us creating space in our lives for that to rise is just, that's for me, everything. And, but here I was, and I had tamped me down. And so, I mean, I really became, I mean, it, it became harder and harder I stopped writing. I blogged for like a few years. I stopped because I just felt like I was a liar. Mm -hmm. Like I felt like that I was not being, I was telling everybody else live their truth and I was not living mine. But I do think that, um, and I think Shakespeare said it, that honesty is the greatest heritage that you can give your children. And I am so grateful, Chip, for who my children are, that they have 
suffered me, loved me, forgiven me, honored me, wept for me, hated me. I mean, all the things because, um, I mean, it really was a, a massive upheaval yeah. um, in their lives. I mean, granted they were in their twenties, but you know, it, it was, and yet they have been remarkably supportive. Well, and now they know you, you know, yeah. it's, they get to know the real you and that's so important. Like what a gift. Yeah. It's, it's also, it's sweet. I'm sorry. It's what? No, it's sweet. I mean, there's a real yeah. sweetness to this sense of like not having to be this person. But I think on the road of motherhood, when motherhood was a lot of what kept me so mm-hmm. confined for it to now be a place of no, like this is the best I could do. This is the very best thing I could do for you. Yeah. I do. Th- I was going to say that kind of I can piggyback on that a little bit because one of the um, greatest gifts my parents gave me was getting into recovery when I was a younger kid. My dad um, got sober when I was eight. And what it taught me was that my parents aren't perfect and it's okay to be human and you can keep growing, which is probably why I know what to do with all of that stuff. I also really resonate with you what you're saying though about doing all the work like i just was in that season of being in a toxic relationship and thinking if i just did enough work and fix myself enough like fix myself even though i'm only one part of this dynamic then the relationship can work i won't have to leave i can have this little happy family and live the you know picture perfect life i feel like i'm supposed to as a woman from the south and um and in its very similar capacity i'm sitting on this podcast or this is why i've had to get even more real about what's actually happening in my life because i was having on all these guests to talk about you know the healing journey and on one hand that was exactly the life i was living and then on the other hand it was like no i was in a really fucked up relationship so you just feel like such a fraud and so i think that as humans we can all really resonate with that and really like hearing you guys both just own the journey of what it looked like and like maybe it wasn't perfect and kind of messy it just makes me happy that you're actually living in what you're feeling inside versus the suppression because that is just so sad i mean chip and i know a couple people where we're like are they really living in their truth you know like you can sense it and it just for me brings this overwhelming sense of sadness more than anything like that anyone would ever feel like they are not worthy enough to just live in exactly the way that they were made like that they wouldn't feel like they're exactly who they should be or they're perfect the way they are anything like that and i'm speaking to myself as well you know i just think that is such a sad pressure that we put on each other oh it's brutal yeah it's absolutely brutal and both self-imposed and that which we take on whether it's generational you know culturally whatever what we take on and and then just let i mean it is it's oppressive it is really oppressive and so you know i've told several people i said listen liberation is the word that i would use Mm-hmm. For, for what has really transpired in my life, not just in me coming out, but through the work that I still and will forever do of, of being liberated from just those patterns, those things, those parts of me that I think are me. Mm. 
the parts of me that I think are me and, and really that's just a part of me, Yeah, you know, and that sense of, of, um, not disconnecting, not at all, but, um, disidentifying with that, you know, part of me that needs to be a good mom. You know, we call it unblending and IFS, but just being able to say, okay, I'm not an angry person. Mm-hmm. There's a part of me that carries a lot of anger. And I really want to be curious about that. There's a story there. Yes. You know, there's a story there. And, and just being able to do that. Um, I think I call it, I want to see her rather than be her. I want to see that part of me. And that gives me that separation where I can go, huh, what is it? Mm-hmm. I'm so angry about mm-hmm. where that's concerned. And um, yeah, I think that that's what creates that space that, and when I say self-led leadership, that's what I mean, that when I'm able to disidentify with those parts, those voices, those patterns, those narratives, you're like, wait, 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 wait. Okay. Because it feels so integral. You, You feel completely hijacked and this is who I am. I am just a very angry, you know, I want to choke him. You know, I, you know, or whatever. Um, I use anger because it's the easiest, you know, part to talk about. But yes. um, yeah, so it, it is um, being liberated from that and knowing that my essence, my core is good. When I was raised to believe everything about me is bad, mm-hmm. it is just, it is a talk about a shift. It's, it's just in, insane. I like that because I don't like the words good and bad when it comes to humans. It's just like the whys. Like I've been doing this um, flower essence. I posted it on my Instagram a couple weeks ago, which is super cool and also really scary because it's like you take these little drops four times a day for a month or whatever, and it is supposed to bring stuff to the surface. Well, I was kind of like, okay, I'll give this a go and see what happens. Well, it's working because what I like have been, what's been happening to me for the last week is that my anxiety has come up or like with work, I've been feeling all these or having all these voices in my head. Like, you're not really good at this. You suck, you blah, blah, blah. And it hit me last night. Oh my God, this is the essence. This is what's actually happening in my brain and in my body at all times. And I have two choices. I can try to suppress them again and be like, nope, I'm just an insecure person. I have a lot of anxiety. Or (laughs) I can um, journal about it. Like I wrote down worst case scenario and best case scenario and tried to really get peaceful with both. And what was just interesting was how the critical voices or the narrative in my head when I exposed it, it was just like, oh, well, that's really sad that I would talk to myself that way. Or that's actually not true at all. But I'm either staying curious about it and acknowledging it and operating, then I can make a different decision or it's driving the fucking bus in my life. That's exactly right, girl. Yeah, it's not, <laughs> like it's not going to go away. So just staying curious and um, and getting to know ourselves is such an important part of this human experience to me. Yeah. I, I mean, I totally, I mean, loving everything you just said. And I think too, it's that curiosity and then mm-hmm. bringing compassionate awareness to it is really what transmutes it. Like yes. I don't, there is no part of me that I want to transcend or get rid of, or, you know, like, and when we, you hear we say it to ourselves. Oh, I hate that part. No, 
I want to tend to and heal that part of me Mm -hmm. because there's a story there. Like, and I get it. And, and I really do. They're bringing that. um, It's like in, what is it called? Alchemy, you know, Mm -hmm. being able to bring these parts to this place of healing and transmute it from what it is into what it was meant to be. Yes. Yes. And, and that's, it's very, it's, it is, it is daily. It is ongoing. It is forever, but it is glorious to, to believe that for me, that I am only going to get more whole. Completely. Did you ever think you would get to a place of saying there is not a part of myself that I would change? No. Mm -mm. Isn't that crazy? No, because it is, you know, and I would say there's not, and and this comes from Dick Schwartz and, and what I've learned through IFS, but there's not a part of me that is bad. Even, even if when I am hijacked by that part, the behaviors are extreme and -hmm. trust me, I have those parts, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but you know, his latest book, no, no bad parts that there's a reason there's something underneath that there, you know, and, and there is this innate, holy wise, unscathed self that if we can create that space, even just a little bit of space, you know, then we can have that essence rise. And I, I mean, it gets me all, you know, obviously gets me all fired up. This feels like a really good time to transition into the Enneagram conversations. You guys tune in on Friday. We're going to have Georgia back and we're going to educate Educate, educate, what? Educate. <laughs> educate. It's just the gay, the gay sneaking It's the gay educate. version of education. We're educating everybody. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to educate gay, and educate Chip on the Enneagram. So you guys tune in on Friday. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.